may be seated. And as you are, please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we come before you and we realize as we just have sung, were the whole realm of nature ours, that would be a present far too small to bring to you. You deserve so much more, for you have given so much more. Though we were sinners and enemies and traitors against you, you have loved us and made us your children. You have forgiven us the sin that is so intertwined with our life. You have made us your own. We thank you for that. We can never repay the debt that we owed, the debt that has been paid by Christ Jesus, your son. So we pray that you would receive our worship, not as something that earns us something, but rather as a response to your goodness, a response to your grace, a response that realizes our own sin and your holiness, our just deserts, and your mercy. Speak to us now. Speak to us during this time from your word. May we see from the 16th chapter of Leviticus a picture of you and of your grace and of your Son and our Lord, Christ Jesus, the one who is King of kings and Lord of lords, who was and is and is to come, the Almighty in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, as I mentioned before, we, as a church, have a lot of things to be praying for, uh, a lot of troubles. This was a, a hard week. It's a hard week for me as, as seemingly day after day, uh, a new prayer request would come in, and, and all prayer requests are, are important. I don't mean to list them as some being important, some not. They're all important. But it seemed that prayer request after prayer request that came in this week was of the really big kind, life and death kinds. Made it a hard week. It was a hard week. There were some other things going on uh, in our family. We live in Grand Blanc. We had a couple things that happened this week. Uh, A young boy who... I uh, was in Jack's class at school uh, that I had actually coached in baseball, took his own life this week. It was very hard. We had somebody who lives about three blocks from us uh, was murdered this week uh, by her husband, somebody who's supposed to love her, to protect her, to care for her, to see that all is well with her, to lay down his very life for her. And yet he took her life. This turned out we didn't know at the time, come to find out later that she was the niece of a friend of ours that I coach baseball with, actually. And so there was another connection there. And I've just seen this week, I think, more than, more than any time, really, it, it's just come home to me, the brokenness of this world. We are broken people living in a broken world it is a broken existence and 
And the normal reaction to that for anybody to have is to, to just cry out to God, why? Why, God? But God gives us an answer. He makes it perfectly clear why the world is broken. It goes back to the very beginning, doesn't it? In the book of Genesis, we, we read how God created Adam and placed him in the garden and, and he walked with him, we're told, in the garden. He had perfect fellowship with him. All was well. It was bliss. There was no sin. There was no pain. There was no sorrow. There was no murder. There was no suicide. There was no cancer. There was no Alzheimer's disease. There were none of these things. And it was perfect. Don't we wish it could be that way today? And yet it's not because Adam, Adam sinned. Adam representing all of mankind is the father of all mankind, the, the covenantal head of all mankind. He sinned. And mankind fell in that sin. Creation fell in that sin because he was not only the covenantal head of mankind but the vice regent over all of creation and so creation falls and and into creation comes sin and death and separation from God you see because Adam was evicted from the garden no longer could he simply walk with God in the garden He was separated from him. The garden guarded by the angel of flaming swords. No entrance. Separated. And this is the problem. It's the biggest problem we have, really. And it's the problem that is specifically dealt with in Leviticus 16. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron and when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, Tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die for I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. You remember the context here. It says that this this happened after the death of the two sons of Aaron. You remember back a couple weeks ago in chapter chapter 10 it was, Nadab and Abihu, the two sons of, of Aaron, they came and offered what was called an unauthorized fire before the Lord. We remember that they were struck dead for that. It, it didn't tell us any more about it there, but we see here from this context, it, it likely was that that they came into the Holy of Holies. They became before the mercy seat of God, and even if they had the best of intentions, even if they longed to bring him sacrifice and worship, they came before him in a way that they were told not to come before him, and they were struck dead. You remember the the fire that came out from the mercy seat that, that normally consumed the sacrifice, in their case, consumed them. They were unable to come before a holy God. Just as Adam had been removed from the garden, no longer able to walk with God. You see, because God is holy. 
in all his ways, in all his being. Habakkuk 1 verse 13 says this of God, says you are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look on wrong. You see there, there's no way that God can just behold evil and just be all right with it. Sin cannot just come into his presence and he say, "Ah, ho-hum. And so, here in chapter 16, we see him give some instructions to Aaron because, you recall, he he wants Aaron to come bring these sacrifices. He wants him to come. He, He has to come. He is the high priest. That is his responsibility, but he can't just wander in however he wants to wander in. And so he gives him instructions. He says, in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat and shall have the linen undergarment on his body and he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban and these are the holy garments. So he has to put on these holy garments. You might have noticed they're just made of linen. And, and he's to bathe his body in the water and then put them on. And we wonder, what, what is it with these Whole, oh, these linen garments. Why is he to wear wear them? Why are they the the holy uniform that he is to wear? Perhaps, perhaps it is just that it signifies the holiness. You know, the, he washes indeed, and so so he's cleaned, and and these are very plain, and so you know, as white outfits that they, they signify holiness, and perhaps that's part of it. But it, it's far more than that, I believe. More central to their meaning, more central to their purpose, I think, is this. They are perfectly plain. He is, in essence, taking just like a bed sheet and wrapping himself in it. You know, imagine, imagine if, if you're going to meet the king, right? <laughs> you're going to meet the king and, and, and you show up and you're wearing a bed sheet. It, it seems odd. It is pretty humble to come with that it's humbling remember Aaron normally didn't wear that what, what was it that he he normally wear remember back in chapter 8 when we talked about the priest and what he was to wear and he he had a special coat and a sash and a robe and and the ephod the skillfully woven band that came around it and the the breastplate and the urim and the thummim and the, the turban and the the crown and the the you know on top of the turban. he had this magnificent outfit that he was to wear that that was just glorious as he went about his work and people saw him and saw that he was was the high priest but yet when he comes before God on this day of atonement there is no crown there is no beautiful robe there is no breast breast piece there are none of these things just a linen garment as plain as plain can be he doesn't come before God in all his magnificence but rather comes before God humbly he who is the the holiest man in Israel by means of office is but a sinner before God. And he has to come humbly knowing that he is but a sinner. And we should all have that opinion of ourselves. We should realize that we are but sinners before a holy God. It doesn't matter that we are church goers, that we are the you know, better than our neighbor. We've 
certainly never murdered anybody. We've certainly never done anything like that. So we're decent folks, right? Indeed, we are better than that, but that should not be the standard that we measure ourselves by. It must not be the standard that we measure ourselves by. If we should measure ourselves by a standard, let that standard be the standard set by Christ Jesus, our Lord, the perfect man, God incarnate, holy in all his ways. Let us hold ourselves up to that standard and let us see how we think of ourselves then. We too will see that we are but sinners. We are but sinners. And so we will, as we see our sin, I hope, have a humility like that humble mindset that Aaron has. He came before God. Like the humility that Christ Jesus has, we see in Philippians 2, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very form of a servant and being born in human likeness. He humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. So it is that we should each see ourselves as sinners, sinners who placed him on that cross. And the whole process outlined here in Leviticus 16 is for the very purpose of answering that question that we brought up at the start of this series. When we first started looking at Leviticus some weeks ago, how is it that a holy God can exist in the midst of a sinful people? It's a problem. And so we turn our attention to verse 11. And following, we see that Aaron presents a bull as a sin offering for himself, first of all. He makes atonement for himself and for his house. He knows that he is but a sinner. He needs atonement. If he can come before God to make atonement for the people, he first needs to start with himself. And so it should be with us. We, we are so quick to see the sins in other people's lives, aren't we? We're so quick to see where they go wrong. We're so quick, whether it's the way that they live their lives in front of us, our neighbors, our co-workers, our family members. Maybe it's the, even the, the political opinions they have and how devoid they are of a of a Christian worldview. Maybe it's the things that they say and the way that they talk. We're quick to see those things. It's very easy. And yet we don't see the sin in our own life. I've got news for you. It's easy for your neighbor to see that sin. It's there. It's there. We should take care of our own sin first, just as Aaron does here. And then it says, he shall take a censer full of coals for the, for the fire, or of the fire from the altar before the Lord, two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small, and he shall bring it inside the veil, that veil that separated the rest of the tabernacle from the Holy of Holies, that, that curtain that hung there. He comes inside the veil. Remember, he could only do this 
once a year, and he was the only one allowed to do this. It was on this occasion, on the Day of Atonement. He comes inside the veil to the Holy of Holies. He brings this in. He puts the incense on the fire before the Lord, that the cloud of incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony, so that he does not die. You don't want to forget that step if you're Aaron. He says, you have to do this so you don't die. You know, sometimes I've, I've walked up here before and I've, I've forgotten, like, my announcements. You know, oh, man, forgot that. that. We'll have to kind of figure it out on the way. Or I forgot my sermon one time. I had to, you know, during a hymn, run out real quick and grab it and come back. You know. Those are minor errors. If you forget those things, if you mess up, you know, we'll figure it out, right? We'll make do. If Aaron forgets this step, he dies. No second chances pretty important you see how does this work well well this cloud of incense this this smoke that goes up what it does is as he comes into the very presence of God it it hides God from his view because we cannot look upon God and live but it also hides him from God it hides his sin from God so that God as he's there does not see this sinful man as it were entering into his presence and so he need not consume him with judgment right there. And so he needs to remember this. He does this and he is protected. Because God is holier than we can possibly imagine. This creates a problem not only for Aaron that is solved by this instance, but it creates a problem for us. Because God is holier than we can possibly imagine, but you and I are far more sinful than we've ever feared. We can't come before God, just as Aaron couldn't. And so it was that, that even as, as sinners came into the, uh, as, well, yes, sinners came into the temple, they, or the tabernacle, they would defile it just by their mere presence there. And so, so it was necessary for atonement to be made for the very place. And we read about how he does that in verses 15 through 19. Uh, go, go back and read that on your own, but you'll see, see that he brings the sacrifice and makes atonement for all the different parts of the tabernacle. And this is necessary because the people of Israel were sinners, just like the people of the church. You see, some people think of the church as that's where all the good people go. But I got news for you. I know you guys. And you know me. We're not really the good people. We're just the people, which means we're sinners. We're sinners deserving the judgment of a righteous God. And if we trust in Him, we don't become perfect. We just become those who have been a been able to find atonement for our many, many, many sins. I like the bumper sticker I once saw. It it said, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. So true, so true. And so we see in verses 20 to 28, I want to take a look at this. After having made atonement for the holy place and the tent of the meeting, tent of meeting and the altar. 
he, that's Aaron, shall present a live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel, as we read before. And so this, this goat is brought before him. You understand what, what we read before is that this, this goat is brought before him and, and he places his hands on them. And, and, and in placing his hands on the goat, he, he then confesses the sins of Israel over it, thereby transferring, as it were, the sins of Israel to this goat. He, he confesses these sins, all these sins. We read a number of times there, all of their uncleannesses, all of the things that made them less than holy, less than perfect. All of them, not, not just the big ones, not just most of them, but all of their sins, so that, that all of their sin is placed upon this goat. And what happened with that goat? Well, we read in verse 22, the goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. If we went on from there, it would read, then Aaron shall come into the tent of meeting and shall take off the linen garment that he put on when he went into the holy place and shall leave them there and he shall bathe in water and so forth and so on, getting clean is this ritual uh, that goes on and says, and he lets, and he who lets the goat go to Azazel shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water also. Azazel, what, what does that mean? It's mentioned actually earlier in the passage too. We skipped over verses uh, 6 through 10 and it spoke of this Azazel that this goat is sent off to. And, and Scholars have come up with many different ideas. Uh, in the ESV, it's just said Azazel. That's just a, a transliteration of the Hebrew word there. Um, some people in translating have said, well, it's probably the name of a place. It's actually a specific place that they went out in the wilderness somewhere. Azazel. You know, we're going to go to uh, Burton, and then we're going to go to Clio, and then we're going to go to Azazel. You know, it's just a place like that. Others have said, no, no, it's, it's actually a, a demon or a, a devil or the devil that it's talking about, perhaps, and that, that the goat is to be sacrificed to them. Because earlier in, in the earlier verses, in that passage 6 through uh, 10, it talked about how there was one goat that was sacrificed to the, to the Lord and the other was for Azazel. The other lot that was drawn was, was for that. I think the best explanation is probably this one that uh, Oz mean, means means goat and that that Azel is related to the word that means to go away and so it's simply just the goat that goes away and so it is that many modern versions have translated it as a scapegoat that's what it was called, the scapegoat. In fact, you know, we've used that term sometimes, don't we? 
a scapegoat, somebody who gets blamed for something they didn't do, essentially someone who who bears the guilt that was rightly accrued by somebody else. That's what a, a scapegoat is. Well, this is where that phrase comes from. It comes from this place right here. The scapegoat was the gate what was the goat that that bared the burden of the sin of the people, even though he had not committed that sin and he was sent off with that. And we know something about that because Christ Jesus is our scapegoat. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. We read in 1 Peter 3.18. See, the righteous for the unrighteous. He did not sin, and yet he bore the burden of our sin. Or in 2 Corinthians 5.21, we read, For our sake... God made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Again, he knew no sin. He he had not sinned, and yet he bore the burden of our sin. And that's the picture of what's going on here. Leviticus 16 is this goat is is taken away. he, He is taken away off into the wilderness. We need to realize that in Jewish thought there were different circles, kind of concentric circles Everything was set up around it. At the very core of the people, at the very center of the people, was the Holy of Holies where God resided on the mercy seat. The next circle around that would be the tent of meeting, if you will. You go out to the tent of meeting, it's the tabernacle, the place they would gather to worship God. The next circle going out from there is the camp, just where everybody lived. Remember that God is residing in the midst of the camp with the people. Outside the camp is the next circle. And then outside of that is the wilderness. Everything outside of that is just the wilderness. From there to the end of the earth is the wilderness. And so we see this picture here of this goat being taken from that innermost circle and sent out to the wilderness. It should call to mind those words of David in Psalm 103, should it not? Where he says, That God does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As far as the east is from the west, from one end of the spectrum to the other. From the holy of holies to the wilderness. So far does he remove our transgressions from us. And this, of course, is what happened at the cross. When Jesus paid the penalty for our sins. Jesus, our scapegoat, just as that original scapegoat was taken outside the camp, Jesus was taken outside the city gate and was crucified for us there. When Christ appeared, we read in Hebrews 9, as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. You see, Jesus is not only the high priest for us, but he is the very sacrifice made, 
that by his blood we might have an eternal redemption secured. It's not a sacrifice that had to be repeated annually, year after year after year, like it did here in Leviticus 16, where it says that, that it shall be a statute to you forever, that on the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and not do work. And it goes on to explain how this should occur every year, year after 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 year. But Jesus instead hung on the cross. And what were those words that he said? He said, it is finished. And when he said those words, he wasn't just saying, okay, I've died. I'm done. But rather he said, it is finished. The payment has been paid in full. The sacrifice has been made to end all sacrifices. The work of the cross has accomplished payment for the sins of my people for all time. We can do nothing now to earn our keep with Jesus. We can't pay it off. It's not like like we go to a restaurant, we forget the credit card, we realize when they come with the bill, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to do now? And they make us work in the kitchen. You know, I don't know that anybody's ever actually done that, but that's kind of the story where they, they make you wash dishes to pay off your dinner. Sometimes we think about it in that way, don't we? We think Jesus has done something nice for us, and now we have to wash the dishes to pay off our dinner. He's already washed them clean. They're spotless. There's no work for us to do. And so the sacrifice we offer is not a sacrifice trying to accomplish something for ourselves, but rather a sacrifice of praise to him who has done all for us in response to his kindness to us sure we still do good works we live out a living faith otherwise you know if there are no works to to pour out of our faith then it's not a living faith it's not a real faith it it can't be true but but we don't do these works to earn anything we we do them in response to a god who has graciously loved us so much so that he sent his only son to die for us we bring the sacrifice of praise and Jesus receives that, practice, that sacrifice because even though he did die, he lives. Because he rose on the third day and he lives. And he ever lives to intercede at the right hand of God. And one day he will return. He will return. And he will set all things right. And it will be wonderful. Remember what else happened? He, he said it is finished. What happened then? Whether we read it in Matthew 27 or Mark 15 or, or Luke 23, they all tell the same story, of course. Jesus was crucified, and as he breathed his last, the curtain in the temple tore from top to bottom. That curtain, that veil that separated God from all of mankind, Jew and Gentile alike. That curtain that that said you cannot enter. You cannot have access to me. You, You cannot walk with me. For otherwise my righteousness would consume you. That curtain was torn in two. 
and access was granted to us. Therefore, brothers, we read in Hebrews 10, since we have confidence to enter into the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. I said before, you are a far worse sinner than you ever feared, and that is true. But the good news is that in Christ Jesus, you are far more loved by God than you ever dared to dream. If you have faith in him, he has washed you clean of your sin. Remember where we started? Nadab and Abihu entering in when they weren't supposed to. They couldn't come into the Holy of Holies. Aaron was told how he could enter in, but him only once a year, and then only to offer the sacrifices for the people, and then only when he had prepared in the right way, and then only when he did all the right steps along the way. But through Christ Jesus, today, you can enter into the Holy of Holies. You can come before God right now and behold him in his glory just like man was created to do before the fall, just like in the Garden of Eden when there was no sin and he could walk with him in the cool of the day, so too you can walk with him all because of the blood of Christ Jesus. I just want to ask you one question. If you're not trusting in the blood of Christ Jesus today to wash you clean of your sin, if you're not trusting in him and him alone, if you're trusting in something else, I want to ask you, what is that? What is your plan? What is your plan? On the day of judgment, when you stand before God, what is your plan? What will you say to him? This God who consumed Nadab and Abihu with his righteousness. Will you say, I am righteous enough to stand before you, God, on my own? I assure you, you are not. You must trust in Christ Jesus. For every other religion, every other religion says, do this, do that, do this, do that, do, 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 do. But not the Christianity of the Bible, not the Christianity of Christ Jesus. It says, done, done. 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 And if you want to stand before God, rest in Jesus today. Know that his peace can be yours through the cross. Trust in him today. And this will forever be your day of atonement. Pray with me. Our Lord, we thank you for the atoning work of the cross. We thank you that it is indeed the only means by which we can be clean. And yet it is a way that we can be fully confident 
that we will be clean because it is the perfect work of a perfect God who has loved us with a perfect love and a perfect grace. We thank you. We praise you. And may all glory be yours. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please rise with me.